Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Who Mourns for Mourn? Question mark. Twelfth episode of the sixth season aired on February fourth, nineteen ninety-eight. This episode was written by Mark Garrett O'Connell and directed by Victor Lobel or Lobel. Uh, in this episode, Morn dies, leaving his entire estate to Cork. But some of Morn's old acquaintances want a piece of the action. We're joined by Clay, who took last episode off, but is now back to talk about Morn. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I had to take last episode off because I saw this was coming up, and I just. I just couldn't deal with it. Um, (laughs) I I needed to prepare myself for the passing of Morn. And I would just like to say, solid three. Can we move on to the next episode? Oh, I guess guess our discussion here is going to be... I think it's less than a three, so I guess we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think we're both more or less on the same page, though. It's it's fine. Um, (laughs) I, I, I... I'm sure we can get into this, but I feel like the problem when you get into more story, uh, serialized storytelling is then you do something like this and it's like, okay, sure. Sure. Cool. Let's, uh, let's take some time to do this. I guess we could, uh, we can go back and talk about waltz <laughs> if you want <laughs> instead of this. Um, yeah, I don't, I- especially after that one. Yeah. Especially following up waltz with, again, it's not bad. It's just like, Nah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess that's a good... We'll take that as a jumping-off point. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and break down who mourns for mourn. Excuse me, Quark. Not now. I'm sorry to intrude. But I thought you should know. I unsealed Morn's will. He left everything to you. Me? He left everything to me? That's right. Morn. Dear sweet Morn. Oh. You know, I I guess I would start this one off by saying that this one to me, uh, for like the first 10 minutes, I always think that this episode could, it could have been the greatest Ferengi episode, I think, in a lot of ways. I was thinking the same thing, actually. You know, like. Continue. Well, I, I think that. Where, where the show constantly puts the Ferengi in these like farcical, weird kind of like movie homage setups, where they're 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 playing off sort of like the ghoulish trollishness of the Ferengi in a way. I, I think that yep. this one had something interesting to say about like Quark's greed versus the death of a friend, and I, I felt like right. that was something that like the Ferengi could really. You could really do some kind of satire with Quark in that situation where someone dies and it's his best customer and he is just concerned about like the how he's going to maximize getting profit out of exploiting this guy's death. And then you could, you know, Mm -hmm. do something where he learns a life lesson about it or whatever and it it all comes apart uh, or it all comes apart for him or comes together for him. Instead, they... They do something less interesting, which is they they just turned it into kind of a heist episode, and I think it's really not all that interesting after the first ten minutes when you think they're going to do something with it and they decide not to. Yeah, I I would love to know. I would bet money on someone in the writers' room wanting to title this. It's a mad, 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 mad morn. 
<laughs> you know, before before you uh, go off on on uh, what you thought about it, the the original idea. This is one of the rare instances where I was reading Memory Alpha, and the original idea seems better to me than what they did with it. Uh, the the original <clears throat> idea is just that Morn goes missing, and as the crew are sort of searching for him, they come to realize that they ne- they they don't really know him, even though he's been around for uh, the six years or whatever, which is kind of what this episode is about. But it, it felt more like it was like a um, a commentary on like the it's sort of like the meta aspects of being an extra on a TV show like it's yeah. like you you've seen this person forever but you don't really know anything about them and mm-hmm. they do that here but i think they just rely too much on the heisty thing and the heisty thing is just like blah is how i would describe the entire heist sequence um but i don't know what would you think i i thought it had its moments i thought the uh, uh yeah that that thing that you're describing does sound like it would probably be better except I can feel like why they they would hedge their bets and do something like this because it's like how many times can you go oh so that's what he was really like mm-hmm. you know across forty minutes. Um, I think the without- gag the gag falls flat here in the first ten minutes. Like it the yeah. the gag does not really have legs to propel the entire episode. Yeah, like the, the part the, the reason that the morn gags work is because they're so few and far between. Um, and when you start getting into you know, oh, he talked a lot. Oh, he did all this other stuff that we've never seen him do on screen. Blah, but you know, it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, I, you know, I thought it had its moments. Uh, I thought the first scene with the 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 green guys was fun. Yeah, I, um, I like the, I like all were, the heisty characters. I think they're all pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I liked that they were just playing like uh, you know Italian gangsters, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the. Yeah, the 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 Yeah, it was fine. You know, I the, it was it was fairly low stakes when all is said and done. Um I was expecting uh I thought at the beginning I thought that they that he was actually dead. I mean, I shouldn't have, but as as was going on, I was like he's not really dead. Yeah. Um because that's just how these things work. But at the beginning, I was like, "Oh, I mean, that's interesting. Man, they're going to kill cuz I thought they were kind of going to do what you were saying." Um I, where it was going to be this, you know, uh, look at uh, f- the Ferengi culture of, of whatever versus the death of a friend. Now, that would be really interesting. Um, I don't know if necessarily that's what uh, the suits were looking for out of a Star Trek episode at this point in the series. Yeah. Um, but I think it would, it has as much uh, potential there as anything else they've ever tried to do. I, I feel and that has more to nice, say about anything yeah. than any Ferengi episode has really had to say about any, except for maybe the unionization uh, episode. But I, I just feel that it's like, it, it's a way to portray the Ferengi as greedy and only concerned about money, but also do it in kind of a realistic way, which they struggle with sometimes. Like the the portraying the Ferengi as greedy occasionally really comes across as this broad sort of like sticky thing that they're you know they're just yeah. trying to they're just trying to make a deal or whatever. But if you if you actually had you know the crew kind of disgusted at what Quark was doing with Morn's death, I think it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I as I was watching it uh, early on, I I actually also had the thought I was like. This could be the best Ferengi episode because it foc- it could focus on 
you know, every, everything that you just talked about. But then in, in, in the back of my head, I was like, or this could turn out to be Quark turns the corner and all of a sudden, Quark, and there's just another Ferengi shows up and then they all show up and they're all fighting over whatever. And, and that's kind of what it turned into anyway, but it just wasn't other Ferengis doing it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was, I think it was a missed opportunity. It's, I, I, I get it. It's a, f- you know, meant to be a fun, light episode. And I think... I, I appreciate them putting all of the heavy lifting on Armin Shermerman's shoulders or ears, for that matter. Yeah, because uh, I think he's a great actor. I think he does this role really well, and I think he pulls it off. You know, I, I don't. Th- I think he can carry. He carries this episode very well. Yeah, we're having a. Um, I like Shermerman too. Th- this conversation will probably be a little bit uh, far-reaching, just because I don't have too much to say about the episode. But I guess that mm. the, I like, you know, we'll frequently have. Um, patron comments and stuff that'll say like this episode is just a fun romp um and 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 i i don't know i don't i i think that ds9 compared to tng has trouble with fun romp episodes yeah. for some reason well they're in the middle of a war that, yeah where you know between friggin planets and people and genocide and all this kind of, yeah it's gonna be tough to do like uh you know, something kind of lighthearted in the middle of that. Yeah, I feel it even extends to pre-the war. I feel that yeah. DS9's goofy episodes never feel like they really work in the way that TNG's goofy one-off episodes work, like Data's Day mm. and stuff like that. Mm. I don't really know why. Um, I think it's more that the... It, it's it's probably just like the background of the characters that are on this show. It, it feels a little bit weirder when they go off on these sort of like little romp episodes. And mm-hmm. maybe TNG, the characters felt like they kind of fed into that a little bit better. But it's something that I notice. I, I've never really, and it's not that I want DS9 to be like all grim, dark all the time, and that like that elevates the series or anything. It's just that I think that I, I think that the, it's really, I guess, it's just like the Ferengi episode kind of thing. It's just it does not work for me in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. this feels like it, even though I don't know if people would call it a Ferengi episode. Um, well, I wonder if, if the problem with doing, you know, the rompy stuff is that the, the, even though they're stuck on a space station, the cast doesn't have the, or I should say the characters don't have the, um, across the board camaraderie that they did on TNG mm. to the same degree. Like there's no, there's no card playing type thing, you know, among the, 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 the crew group. of, yeah, of, yeah. of ds9 you know everybody's kind of got their thing uh and they come together when they have to and they'll you know have a chuckle or two but then it's kind of back to business that's true and they're they're more antagonistic towards each other in a way that when they start getting sort of goofy fun with each other it sort of feels weird um you know like i think they do the odo and quark thing pretty well where their relationship is balanced enough where i think you can bounce back and forth between the two of them but Mm -hmm. it's tough when you they don't do it in this episode but if you try to stick cisco into something like that it never really feels like he's the right person for that job yeah yeah. and it's 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 strange and you know they've got 26 episodes they have to fill the time somehow but you know, they they don't do the sci-fi episodes the way that T- TNG used to do. Like, they tried doing mm-hmm. that originally in the early seasons of DS9, but they kind of failed at it, so they gave up on it. We don't really have any cause-and-effect episodes or things like that. And right. so you're stuck with these, and that just may, might be like an Ira Bear thing. So you are you end up with these very lighthearted, sort of a, 
homage to a caper kind of like there's there's nothing even really here that you can say it's an homage to anything it just feels like this is the generic template for how a heist uh type thing would come about and i don't know you walk away from it going like yeah the actors were good and everything and shimmerman was good and it all makes sense but it really didn't end up amounting to much yeah i don't know if i would call it a heist it's uh well i guess it depends on how you define heist i I was thinking more uh maltese falcon than uh oceans Oceans 11 11, yeah you know uh where you know he he's in the middle and and he's got different elements pulling him in different directions and stuff like that um yeah i think i think there was room for this to be really good even in the incarnation that it is um i don't think quark I don't think there's enough of Quark playing everybody against each other. I think that's how it would have been elevated if uh, if Quark pl- uh, made some riskier moves instead of just demurring to everybody. He's more a little, or less. He's a little dumb in this one. He he doesn't yeah. he doesn't realize anything really until people basically tell him without telling him uh, that this has all been a setup. Yeah, even even at the end uh, or towards the end uh, where everybody kind of converges on his room. Um. They do it by accident, and I was—I th- thought what he was going to end up doing is I thought he was going to try and put all of those elements, you know, force them together, and then they would kind of blow each other up, and then the twist would be, oh, they all actually know each other, you know, right? Um, and it was just like, no, he, the girl happens to be there, and then the lizard guys also happen to be there, and then the other guy happens to be there, and they're all like, hey, we all know each other, idiot. <laughs> um, you know, it, so it wasn't like it didn't make him look smart in the ways that he's done, has in the past. It didn't make him look clever or anything. Yeah. And then from that point, he's just basically, you know, got a gun to his back the whole time. And uh, weirdly, he uh, gets the money at the end. He gets the latinum out of this after it's all said and done. Morn kind of gives mm. him the money, which is a, it was a strange resolution to it that didn't feel... It didn't feel like it came from... Um, anything it just felt like a sort of an arbitrary ending that's really surprisingly happy for everything that uh quirk went through and yeah i i, I think that the you know the the heist the, or the the maltese falcon-esque uh people are fun i think they're all pretty good performances uh the girl is really good too i yeah, think yeah. um her mud her is mud her name, is her name laurel the character i don't i don't know i think the character's name is laurel okay which made me think of Discovery Laurel. Oh, gotcha. And that would be a very, a very different, a very different performance. Yeah, and and outside of that, you know, I think it's um, Shimmerman's good. Uh, I, I guess the other thing I would was want to say was we we were talking in the Discord about who the best uh, Star Trek actors are, and I, mm-hmm. I think that my my sort of criteria is that they they do good work and they hardly ever do bad work. And then also you need a little bit of like versatility to your performance, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Shimmerman would kind of be like a surprisingly, uh, like a dark horse candidate, I guess, for it. Because you, yeah. don't, you don't really think of him, but he doesn't do anything bad. There's never been, you know, outside of the writing for a Frankie episode being horrible, his performance has never left you going like, what the hell was that? A- right. And he's he plays a lot of different emotions within quark a lot of the time so i think he's kind of a surprise dark horse candidate for it but i think the the ds9 cast in general is fairly strong in that regard yeah he's definitely i mean even the people who play ferengi he is the least over the top as well you know right he he, he figured out how to do that character 
and make it unique, but also not completely give over to the fact that you're when you look at yourself in the mirror, you go, okay, <laughs> this is going to be silly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I guess it depends on, are you, are you taking into, uh, into account frequency as well? Yeah. Well, like they, someone like, um, Anson Mount as Pike is good, but he's not there for very long. So I mm-hmm. like I, I think it rewards the number of appearances that you have, like the better your average is, the more impressive it is. So I, I, I'm really restricting this to like main cast members because even if yeah, you have a great yeah. cast, uh, a great guest star on there, it's not enough appearances to match what someone who had to do 175 of the episodes had to do. So yeah. my top two, I think, which are uh, my top two, which I think are will be like impossible to knock, knock off as the best actors, would be Patrick Stewart and Leonard Nimoy are the top two spots in some order. And then the third one, I don't know who it would be. Um, I was thinking Rene Aubergenois, I think, as Odo would be my third. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of people that can slot into that third spot, depending on what you like out of it. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think the popular choice would probably be Brent Spiner. Yes, I, I think that's true. I have, I just, I always think of the scene from Generations where he's Mr. Tricorder, and it's so, it's so <laughs> terrible that, I, like, Spiner was great for 95% of his stuff, but 5% of it was really like, wow, this is, like, you, well, you're just, you're killing me here. To be fair, Mr. Tricorder is supposed to be bad. Yes, so I feel like in that sense, it's unfair to judge him negatively on that because he's doing he's doing what he's supposed to do. It's supposed to be data being not funny. Sure, sure. Yeah. I- um, and I, you know, I, I think he probably gets it just because he does so much with that role over over the years. And um, and, uh, and as people pointed out, lore B eight and the Soong. All the Soongs are played by him too. So he he plays like about five or six different characters. Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah, it, I, of all those, I think what is it? B four, the one from Nemesis, I mm-hmm. think. Yep, uh, is probably the weakest one because um, he 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 has like a, a a funny voice that he does sometimes, which just seems like he's being a dope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he that's basically all he does with B four is just does that dopey voice. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I mean, he's probably has. If you just look at char- the characters on on the shows that have had to do the most, he probably is up to the top. Right. Nimoy Nimoy is re- is really great. I would argue that Nimoy doesn't really get good until the movies because in the show he's fine. I've never I never thought that Nimoy's acting really stood out to me on the show. Um, but in the movies, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I I might even slot Spiner higher than Nimoy personally. Yeah, I could I could I could see that. Um, I wouldn't have a problem. I, I think that Nimoy's importance just for the the amount that he was there. I can't think of yeah. a really bad Spock turn on anything. Like, and he never really sort True. of betrayed yeah. the character. And I think that he, uh, uh you know, he sort of st- set the standard for an entire species. And still, at this point, basically plays the best Vulcan out of anybody. Else. I wonder. I wonder how much of that in the later years was him. Where he's like, did people come to him with weird shit? And he's like, no, we're just gonna, this, we're just gonna, this is gonna be a strike down the middle, or I'm not doing it. <laughs> Once you get the power, you get to play your hand that way. Yeah, but uh, everyone in the listening, just let me know what you think the, the top three actors of all across Star Trek would be. I'd be interested. Um, I feel like that those top two kind of make sense, and Spiner would probably be the popular choice for the third. But let me know if there's any dark horses that we're missing. Um, I. I'm trying to think 
I we've pro I think we've probably said it before, but it seems like DS9 must have the best cast. I think right? so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I'm trying to think if you if you go back and you look at the other two shows before it who you kind of have your top 2 and then everybody else is fine. Fine to bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that uh, TOS is mostly just fine, If and they're yeah. only fine because they don't have any opportunities to screw up, really, with the with yeah. the sub-3 in TOS. Like, they're, they're there to deliver a line and then walk away. You, you don't have any moments where you're like, this characterization of this person is crazy. Um, TNG is definitely top-heavy and bottom-heavy in terms yeah. of the talent there. Um, and I, I think DS9, the weakest... Like Dax is the weakest DS9 character, I think, at yeah, this point. Yeah. But even now, even she's at getting this better. Point, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't, I don't know Voyager or Enterprise enough to make a call, but it seems like they're pretty consistent. Well, at least Voyager. From what I remember of Voyager, it seems like Kate Mulgrew was pretty good and then everybody else was fine at best. I think Enterprise is probably the second contender for the worst. Um, just into the, the oh, really? Enterprise just has a couple characters who, who are pretty much zeros. Um, they they really don't end up amounting to much, and their main cast members. Hmm. Um, but yeah, well, as as we move along, we'll have to, <laughs> have to see what the cast members are if we remember what the hell we're talking about. Um, well, I guess we'll just wrap up Morn with. Um, do you have anything you want to say about Morn at this point? Were you surprised that Latinum is a liquid? I was wondering if you... I was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't... I had no concept of what Latinum was. Um, so, yeah, learning it was, a, it was a liquid was interesting. I did like at the end when he's busting up all the bricks and he's like, all that's left is this worthless gold. That <laughs> <Yeah>. was nice. <laughs> I, uh, I also I also really liked the, the velvet matador painting. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish they had given more screen time to that or more reverence to it because it seems like a good stupid thing to be like you know people of the future being reverential to something so so dumb he he bought that from, in from that, the past. Uh, for the uh for the in the cards episode the one where jake's oh, trying, that's to, right. trying to buy the baseball yes. that's the uh that's the picture that that, bought. Yeah. Yep. yeah but still i i like the that 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 stuff is fun um yeah that's about it i mean yeah I, the rest of it yeah, I, I was happy no other Ferengi showed up. I mean, even Rom isn't even isn't even in it. No, it, no. for more than that, like one scene. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I'm always interested with these episodes that have these fairly elaborate things going on behind the scenes of of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, because there's a certain point where I, I I don't know if it's in reference to the to the Latinum or what, or I forget. Uh, where Quark is saying to Odo that he's he's getting slow, uh, and he's you know hasn't been following stuff, and I was thinking that kind of the whole episode being like I feel like Odo should be all over this. <laughs> right? <laughs> Has he kind of lost his edge uh, for some reason? Yeah. There's something going on in Odo's head that we just can't comprehend. Yeah, yeah. I I mean the the other thing I was wondering are we. Do you think that we as viewers of the show are just losing patience with the show just in terms of like, because we've watched so many episodes of it, that the bad episodes now just kind of feel like, like, all right, like, come on, like, get the hell out of here. Like, what what are we doing? Like, we're we're all basically we can see the finish line in sight. So the bad episodes kind of feel like they're just this like speed bump on the way to it. And I wonder if we would treat this episode so uh, harshly 
if it was, you know, a season three episode where we still were sort of getting our feet under ourselves about what the characters right. were and everything. Yeah, I don't think so at all. I mean, I, I, I think I don't think we would treat it as harshly. And honestly, I, I'm not even really being that harsh about it. It's kind of silly, but I don't think it's a bad episode. It's right. fine. Yep. And I think I think part of it, I think I, I I think you're right in that it has become so serialized, and there is so much heavy shit going on that when they take time to do a you know totally standalone episode that doesn't even make reference to the Dominion or anything, or doesn't even feature the main cast really, uh, it feels like you know, uh, a real momentum slower. Mm-hmm. Um, however, and I, you know, and on top of that, you know, like you said, we can see the finish line. It's like about a season and a half left and it's over. I think that one of the big things to consider is when this came out, nobody knew that deep space nine was going to be over after season seven. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not like it's just another, it's just the next piece on the road. It's not. It's not the. Uh, it. It doesn't feel like you're wasting time because you've only got so many episodes left. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that's interesting too is uh, I. I was talking to a couple friends of ours, uh, and they had started watching TNG, and they tried to. St- they had. Uh, they had. They had watched it before. One of them was fairly well versed in it, and I think his wife had had not watched any of it or just had watched. A less of it. I can't exactly remember. I might be being unfair there. I don't remember. Sure. Anyway, they were getting into, they wanted to, to start watching TNG from the beginning and they only made it a handful of episodes in before they kind of tapped out. <laughs> and I was, I was talking to, I was talking to her and, and she was like, yeah, it was, we realized that there's really, you don't need to do that with those shows with, with TNG. You don't need to sit down and start from the beginning you can just really pick anything mm-hmm. and just kind of go. So it makes the 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 early seasons feel that much more of a slog if you're trying to watch it all the way through just for the sake of doing it. But if you're not committed to doing it like the way we are, there's no reason to do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that kind of plays into this as, this sort of thing as well, where it's like there's still a little bit of that 90s, 90s TV thing where it's like, yeah. You know, you don't. Nec- you know, th- this is an episode you don't need necessarily have to watch everything else that's come before it. If you've watched a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine, and then you sit down and you watch this one, you're totally fine. Yeah, and you'll probably go, "Yeah, that was fun." You know, it, it doesn't. It's not blowing your hair back or anything. Um, but it's also not. You know, you, you're not so entrenched. Uh, even if you were watching this at the time, you probably aren't so entrenched in the the serialization of everything that this is really going to feel uh so out of place yeah because this is this is the norm at this time right stuff like this yeah the, the people watching this were probably uh relieved <laughs> that it went back to like an episodic thing they're like oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get my, my vhs like broke down on the the third week of the uh ds9 occupation arc or something i missed it i have no idea what's going on at this point yeah this episode has you know summer rerun written all over it. yeah but yeah that's true when did when did this actually come out is it's probably early yeah, it's february but it does feel like that kind of lazy summer episode um wait this was a february episode it's a february episode wow because from what i remember because i don't think it really exists anymore i know that february and november were generally the sweeps weeks and so, if this was a sweeps week episode, <laughs> woof! <laughs> Take back everything I said. <laughs> they, they lost a lot of money from a uh, tide this this week when this one came out. Yeah, I think that the um, to get back to your point about like the ways to watch it, um, there's probably some kind of like uh, 
content to make like a video or something, I suppose, on my, my end, where like the how you'd watch each series. And I think TNG and T, like TOS is a pure roulette wheel. You can just like ran like yeah. create like a, a spreadsheet that randomizes an episode between one and seventy or however many episodes there are of the TOS, and you can yeah. just watch it completely independent of anything. Mm-hmm. TNG, I would probably say like snip off the first two seasons and then go from there, and you're pretty good. Like that, that's fine. You can do the same thing. DS9 is different. I think that the way to watch DS9 would be. As I'm going through these, I'm like sort of putting in my mind, what are the non-essential episodes and just cut those completely out of it. And this would be like a non-essential episode. And it's it's not just because it stands alone, but it's just it stands alone and it doesn't really feel like it does anything for anybody. You know, it's like it's neither characterization nor is it particularly entertaining or anything like that. So if you if, if someone said, like, what's the best way to watch DS9, I would probably give them you know, like the list of 30 episodes or something that like, this is the, the entirety of DS nine is, is held in these 30 episodes and you get the, you get the whole arc, you get like a good sense of what the dominion war was all about and all that stuff. And then you can just move on. Yeah. You know, um, speaking of, of serialization and stuff like that, I've, I've actually run into something that's been fairly interesting. Uh, and it's, it's only standing out to me because we've talked about it so much. So, uh, ever since we covered it for the Patreon, I've still been watching Cheers. Mm-hmm. And I'm five seasons into Cheers, and it's not serialized per se, but there is actually a lot more through-line storytelling going on in that show than I expected there to be. It's Just it because works. they're referencing previous history of characters? Yeah, there's a lot of previous history being brought up. There's lots of, you know, returning characters and stuff. They even, they've done multiple 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 episode things where like the uh the end of the f- fourth season ended with a three or possibly four ep- I think it was three episode uh uh story about Sam falling in love with um actually Kate Mulgrew was playing a a, a, a senator or something or a representative <laughs> that he falls in love with um and how that affects his relationship with Diane and all this kind of stuff and blah 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 blah. Um but yeah, I you know, I I I've been surprised at how much stuff that they are they're bringing back and and stuff that you would need to kind of know about even in smaller stuff like, you know, uh if Fraser shows up and Fraser's whole thing is that he actually was dating Diane for a while. But uh, after a certain point, you, you kind of forget that. So people have to bring it up every now and then when it, when a certain plot point hits. It's really and the thing that's been really kind of fun is they found really interesting ways to to knowing that the way people watch TV is you just you know you you go oh Cheers is on I'm going to watch Cheers not necessarily like you've been watching it since the first episode every week right um, they have to find interesting and creative ways to give you the background information you need. Um, so like the second or third episode of that, of that, you know, triple episode story has, uh, Woody, uh, sending, he sends tapes to his mother, um, just giving updates about what's going on in his life and his job and everything. And so the episode begins with Woody recording a tape for his mom and he's just synopsising the last two episodes. Yeah, right. He's just saying, well, what's <laughs> happened is that Sam is now dating the Senator and she's has problems with Diane. Cause Sam and Diane used to date. And I was like, that's actually a really 
creative way to do that instead of just doing previously on Cheers, which they have done also. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a really it's really interesting from a uh, TV storytelling point of view, especially for a sitcom, because like even you know uh, when did what was Cheers? Cheers like eighty five or something? I forget. Yeah, when probably eighty five to the mid nineties. Yeah, so yeah. you've got a contemporary at this point of Cheers is Miami Vice. And Miami Vice does not do this much legwork at all as far as that stuff goes. They'll have a two-parter every now and then, but, like, that's about it. And you don't get a lot of uh, recap or, like, you know, stuff that's going through. I think at this point there is a couple characters that have shown up that end up becoming a, you know, multi-episode plot thread, but not to the uh, – it's fairly still a episode-to-episode show. And I wonder – is it just a, is it just the thing where it's like even if you're an episodic show by your fifth season do you just need to spice it up like is it is it, it I would after say, you get it, three seasons almost, worth of show yeah i'd say it's know, almost after, you're stuck I'd, I'd say it's almost after you've written the character for so long you have no choice but to recognize them yeah, you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, I, I imagine after, you know, after you've done three seasons or so, which is, you know, 24, like almost, you know, 70 episodes or whatever, um, you probably, you've, you've got this backlog of stuff that's happened to the characters, so why not use it? Right. Um, and so, so seeing, seeing how this serialization thing has, has evolved over time is, is really interesting. Because if you look at it now, right, if you want to compare it to, I mean, this is, you know, we're, we can talk about the rest of this episode who mourns from one if we want later but um if you look at if you look at the way it's kind of evolved it's gone from we have so much random shit and random history that's happened to these characters to draw from why don't we draw from it and use it and now it's turned into we don't have any of that this is just 10 episodes of one story right you know, it's 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 really fascinating how this stuff has changed. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's a good that's a good point. How it's you know, maybe it seems obvious, but the stories are still bite-sized in the 80s, but you just have a wealth of backstory if you get to a, a long-running yeah. show enough where the the opposite is true for nowadays where it's really just the it's one episode spread out over 10 hours that you're watching yeah. instead. Yeah. Uh maybe two. One one seems a little bit of a stretch, but two or three or something. Like what you used to be able to do in less time is now stretched out and you just have to sort of um right over a longer period of time, I guess would be the best way to to say it. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I, I think that they, I think it's just one of those things like you really would have no choice after writing Cheers for three or four years. Like you, yeah. you just, it, it's almost, if you start not uh, paying attention to their backstory, it almost feels weirder than referencing it. It's like if they just start talking right. about like totally random things the audience is almost like well didn't he just do this like last year why why is he not remembering that um so yeah it, it's it's strange i think that to, to bring it back into ds9 i think it's just ds9 is at that awkward transition stage there where you know like I, I do wonder what people watching this back when it came out would have thought about this. It probably would have felt normal. But to us, it's kind of like, yeah. what the hell was the point of this episode? Like, why did you do this? And I understand that the the point of this episode is because they're still operating in a 26-episode season. So, they like, mm-hmm. you have to do things like this because the Dominion War, if it was 26 episodes, uh, would feel... They just don't have enough ideas for that, you, you would have to think. Yeah. Like, they just can't stretch it out that far. So, who knows? You know, I also wonder... 
how much of this stuff was noticed at the time. You know, I, I think we, we notice it now because we're in very specifically looking at a TV show that's, you know, 20 years old or whatever, uh, 25 years old. F- from a standpoint of, you know, uh, modern television viewing, but was did anybody even notice when they did stuff like this? Was it like, w- w- were there people in 1997? When was this? 98. 98. Were there people in 1998 talking about how how much the show has changed compared to what it was in the 60s as far as the storytelling and <laughs> they, stuff? The reviews that I've read of the era, people in episodes like this do bring up the fact, they always mention that it's weird that the Dominion War is not being mentioned by anybody. Yeah, so okay. they're, they're conscious of over that. On, uh, over on like Usenet.ds9 right. or whatever. <laughs> on a GeoCities uh, page with a sick <laughs> fire gif uh, going off in the background. Um that, that's something I that, had the I had the best under construction, Jeff. <laughs> that's that's really the only thing I notice is that the because the war is so obvious of a something that always seems to be going on at this point in the show. When it doesn't happen, they seem to notice it at that point. Yeah, yeah. But not that it's a they're they're not talking about it the way we are, where it's like what kind of what a weird mashup of episodic and serialized arc storytelling that they've got going on here. It's more just like why aren't they talking about this thing at this point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take a break. We're going to play a clip, and then me and Clay are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts. There's not many about this one for some reason, and then we'll give our final thoughts about who mourns for Morn. Then it's mine. All mine. What you are about to hear is the most beautiful sound in the galaxy. Oh, that, that can't be. There's, there's no latinum in these bricks. What? Someone's extracted all the latinum! There's nothing here but worthless gold. And it's all yours. <laughs> no! 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 All right, everybody. So... Thank you very much for listening today. If you enjoyed the content, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and support the show there. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff like extra podcasts. Clay said we talked about Cheers. We did that indeed. We talked about Seinfeld. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff. And also, if you're a captain-level supporter, you get a shout-out at this point, and it goes uh, special thanks to go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Now let's go to patron thoughts, Clay. There's only a couple of them, actually. Mm-hmm. So read into that what you will. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Who mourns for Morn? Very silly stuff, but the shot from inside the vault of everyone turning guns on each other is classic. It is a good shot. I do like that. Yeah, that was pretty good. It, yeah, I liked it. The the backup into between the guns, yes. I thought was good. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. I like him um, him busting up the gold and saying it's it's only worthless gold uh, or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a funny, a funny, funny bit. Latinum being liquid is just... Um, it, it, like gold-pressed latinum is something that doesn't make sense until you realize they're putting... It's basically like a... Um, uh like one of those little like <laughs> candy tubes that you tear the top off and drain the like the sugar water out of basically oh yeah, Th- yeah. that's what they're, they're, i was gonna say it's like a uh it's like a deep fried mars bar 
Yeah, sure. Or just like a, a, a Hershey chocolate bar with caramel in the in the center of the block, basically, where you only yeah. care about the caramel. Yeah. 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 Uh, what? Let's... What do you mean only care about the caramel? <laughs> because the uh, the cho- every the chocolate is just useless, useless chocolate. Nice. Matthew Ross says, "Who mourns for Morn? The ultimate Cheers homage. In fact, the bar Cheers has a Cliff and Norm statue set at the bar at every location. The joke of how dynamic and talkative Morn is beyond is." The uh, joke of how dynamic and talkative Morn is is beyond ridiculous. Quirk's speech is actually heartfelt and well done. But just like rotting beets, you can smell a scam a light year away. And just a physics thing, a gold brick is not a light piece of gold plastic. The side character's confusion in this Quirk-centric story of greed, it feels like we've seen it a bunch of times before, down to the parody of the value of gold. The only surprise is where the latinum was stored. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised they didn't um fully in a, a better sound when he clanked the two together because i'm like it's still gold yeah it's it's, it's still <laughs> metal <laughs> it explodes and also i don't know what they're yeah i don't know what they did to it that when you just you know you squeeze it it explodes into <laughs> dust it's tough do you know uh pop quiz for you why is latinum so valuable why is it used as the money of star trek uh i have no idea you can't replicate it Oh, really? Yep. Yep. Interesting. I did not know that. Uh, Samuel S. says, Who mourns for more? In the first half of this episode was almost unwatchable. I was bored, disinterested, and completely baffled as to why everyone on the station cared about an alcoholic with the complexion of a mud pit that had died. Maybe it's just me, but I never liked Morn. And now, with the show in the middle of an episode... Ho, ho, ho. What do you mean you never liked Morn? <laughs> what has he done? What has he done that would make you not like him? He's, he's, I actually, um... Well, let me finish his, his comment, then we'll get back to that. And I don't think we should. And, and now with the show in the middle of an epic conflict between the Federation and the Dominion, I have no idea who thought spending an episode where we watch Quirk running around the station for 30 minutes chasing Latinum was a good idea. Two out of five. Um, I, I think this episode, like, this is, should have probably been in the main part of the show, but I think that the, the problem with this episode is that it's an, it's an idea, I think, that works on paper, yeah. More than it works in execution, where I could be like, if someone came in and was like, let's do an episode about Morn, where it's revealed, we learn all this stuff about him, and it's just this, it's funny because it's this character that's just been sitting in the background for six seasons, and mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, oh, okay, like, Morn is kind of an, an endearing character, I love the design of him, I think he's like, he's perfect for the kind of characterization they've given him, and, yep. you know, he doesn't talk, Quark talks his ear off and all that stuff, he's the guy who just listens to Quark talk, and... Instead, the joke, the joke works for about five minutes at the start mm-hmm. when you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. Morn is like this." Like it's it's kind of a meta commentary that Morn is this deep character who exists in this universe, but we as viewers never know anything about him, even though the characters seem to know everything. Like my favorite is, um, he's a good sparring partner for Worf, which is a good yeah. joke. Like it's <laughs> it's it's stuff like that that works. But then once you you know you do five minutes of that, and then you just kind of like, all right, cool. Um, so what's left? And that's my problem yeah. with it. But I like we, Morn as a concept. We didn't even talk about how Worf is apparently deeply insulted that his wife was not good enough for Morn. <laughs> <laughs> Morn yeah, you know, I think, I, I think if I were to do this episode, I, I would... I wouldn't want it to be like, oh, look at all this stuff we've learned about Morn now that he's gone. I would like it to be, look at the stuff that we learned about him because he's part of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's Quark and Morn having to do something, and then oh, it turns out Quark, uh, Morn knows how to pick a lock with his teeth, or something. You know, like right. that kind of thing, where it's like, oh, you're learning about him through his actions because we never see any action from him. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think there's there's comedy in that, and because he, the way that Morn is played is kind of like he just seems kind of dopey. I don't think he, I don't think they ever say that he's dopey or anything like that. But he, he kind of, you'd see him as the character who's like, if there's a gunfight going on, he'd be like casually walking through it, like trying to get his glass to the bar or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I think that you could play him like that, where the comedy comes from his hyper competency at things yes. that is unexpected, yeah. and I, I think that would work too. Yeah, and if they, I don't know if they ever if they ever have him talk, but the uh, if if I were running the show, I would say, all right, let's have him say two words and let's get Patrick Stewart to do the voice. Yeah, <laughs> he um, actor never gets a credit in either as the guest star or anything either, which is uh, I guess the cast was kind of upset about that. They thought that the guy who play who's been playing him for all these years should get a credit in the at least as yeah, the uh, guest not? star. Yeah, makes sense to me. At least for this episode. Uh, let me see here. Next the comment. episode that he's not in. <laughs> the, the, the last last comment comes from Kyle Barrett, and it's a poem. Who mourns for mourn? Not me with the plot points so well worn. As George Booth says, there's always money in the second stomach. For an episode about mourn, we get very little of the lummox. Instead, it's down to Quark to keep the boring criminals at bay. A background character mourn is, and a background character he should stay. Tedious reveals and endless twists... Although Gregory Itzen is a joy in any cast, he enlists. The final 15 minutes bring it some decent laughs, but too little too late for the title character, it turns out, needs no epitaphs. A waste of time? Of course. Why do you think I've come up with this rhyme? Minor fun to be had, but it's an episode that shouldn't have been born. So, who mourns for mourn? Not me, that's for sure. Thank you for joining us in this installment of Deaf Space Nine. <laughs> some polite clap yes. thing uh, there for Kyle. But I think, uh, yeah, we'll give some some jazz snaps. Um, thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. Not many people left thoughts about who mourns for mourn, I guess, for good reason, because me and you, Clay, uh, kind of went off on tangents about something not related to the episode. So you're going to give it a th- <laughs> are you going to give it a three based on your original uh, recommendation? Yeah, okay. I'm going to stay with a three. I'm going to give it a two. I, I felt it had something, and I, I was really let down after the first 10 minutes went by where I thought they were going to do something with it, and they, they just never do anything with it. I'm going to give it a two, just thinking that it could have, uh, could have, would have, could have, and should have done something with it. But again, not a particularly bad episode, just one that I would uh, recommend skipping, I think, as we move through this. So thank you very much, guys, for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. You can click the links down below. You can bring us either to the webpage where there's all the links. If you're listening to the podcast or the YouTube links will all be there. You can follow all the social media, join the discord if you want to talk. And uh, I think that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Nope. Just plug in my Kickstarter. That's starting at the end of the month again, getting very close. Video's almost done. Page is going to go up pretty soon. And then you will all want to stop hearing about it if you don't already (laughs) so you can look forward to that we're almost at the end of july it's flying by so that'll be up very soon don't tell me that because it's making it's making my chest hurt i know yeah the uh (laughs) the the mortgage bills are coming up the kickstarter is due out but we'll let you guys know when it pops up and you can support clay there so thank you very much we're going to be back uh with another episode which is far beyond the stars i think clay so Uh, We'll be back in a couple days with that. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.